ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. George Cortez, um, if I pronounce it wrong, please correct me. Hey, thank you very much for coming on ATV Talk. Um, we have a mutual friend, John Pellin, recommended that I have a conversation with you about your involvement in the ATV industry and the things that you contributed to it as well. Yeah, uh, John's a great dude. He's uh, I've known him since the... Uh... I'd say mid to late nineties uh, when he was doing his fast track promotions and all the TT racing stuff. And uh, he was one of the first guys to give me any kind of work in the ATV industry. Um, as far as writing work, I, I always wrote for fun, but he was the first guy that really, you know, was like, Hey man, you could take pictures and you could write like welcome on board. So, <laughs> yeah. He, um, but John opened a lot of doors for me. He, uh, he got me involved in the event programs. Um, at one point he got me, um, you know, he had me doing a bunch of graphic design. I think he was pretty much my first graphic design. Uh, like it was all pro bono, but he was my first client in the ATV industry as well. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. I love John. Oh, he's, he's a great guy. Um, very amazing creator. The videos he do, because every episode we do has a promotional video, and you should go check his promo videos out. Oh, I need to. The One of them's on YouTube, and the other one, my Valeria won't post on YouTube because she thinks it'll offend people. Um, he, Is it a bunch of big boob girls, I would imagine? Nope, it's yellow snow. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's telling you know, it's John, you know, I mean, you just, you just know that you're going to get something off the wall. He did yeah. one really, really awesome. And then went a little crazy and it's, it's a lot of fun and I enjoy talking to him. Yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. And honestly, like, a, I, I don't know many people that loved ATVs as much as John does. Like, I mean, it, he's so passionate about it and, uh, passionate about it. And, uh, I've seen that guy. Well, yeah, he's a passionate guy in general. I mean, I, I talked him off a ledge the night that LeBron James moved to 
took his talents to Miami Heat. <laughs> um, John called me and he was almost in tears um, over that. So, I mean, he's a passionate dude in general, you know, That's, but great guy. I, I'm sorry to hear about that and LeBron James, but I understand <laughs> about his passion. Um, so let's hear a little bit about you and how you got started in the ATV world. So um, it's funny, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, um, I used to race BMX. And uh, at the age of 11, I got attacked by pit bulls and I ended up losing my left leg. Um, so my back then prosthetics kind of sucked. So uh, BMX racing was kind of off the table, uh, you know, temporarily or whatever. And my cousin got an ATC 70 and I got on that thing and I was like, Ooh, like this is the most amazing thing ever. And I, I, I mean, I rode the wheels off of that thing. I used to go to his house every day just to go ride that, just ride it in his backyard, ride it in the neighborhood, whatever. And um, my parents ended up getting me a little Suzuki in 1988. It was 84. They got me a 1983 LT 125, a little quad runner. And um, that was my baby. I mean, I rode that thing everywhere, every day, you know? And uh, then I got into more three wheelers. I had a Trimoto 175. I had um, a Tri-Z 250. I, you know, I just kind of kept up in the, up in things um, until I got a quad racer. And I got a 87 Suzuki quad racer. And, you know, that was a game changer for me. I was, you know, I was in love with that thing. And I, um, I would ride in the Everglades. Um, I lived in South Florida. So I would ride in the Everglades, um, just a lot of trail riding. And then I met a guy who was a, he wanted a race. He had a quad racer as well. And um, he had an older brother that also had a quad racer. And he took us, took us to Homestead in um, South Florida to their racetrack. And I started racing there in, uh, in I think it was like 87 or 88. Nice. And um, yeah, so I, I was, you know, it was amateur, very, very amateur, you know, mailbox numbers, if numbers at all. And, you know, very, um, <laughs> very um you know like grassrootsy and then um to make a long story longer i ended up going off to college in 1990 i moved to savannah and i had my atvs with me at that point i was racing a cr250 <laughs> in in like the 250c class um i would race a, we had an atv 250 class and atv open class and i raced a banshee in a in the open class and my quad racer in in the um 250 class and I took all that stuff with me along with some jet skis to, which I also raced, uh, to Savannah, Georgia. And, um, they all got stolen like within probably three weeks of moving there, like wow. all at once. And, uh, we had a shed and it got broken into and they took everything. And, um, so I, it just took me out of everything from 1990 to like 96 when the police called me and they said, Hey, we've got your four wheelers. And I said, uh, I don't even own any four wheelers. And they said, well, it's a Suzuki. And I was like, what? Um, so I went to the impound and, and collected my Banshee and my quad racer. The CR250 was gone. The jet skis were gone. But the quad racer and the Banshee were in better shape than when they got stolen. Like whoever, whoever had them, like, I mean, they dumped some money into them, you know? And um, so immediately I was like, oh, I need to find a place to ride again. And I went to a motocross track. Just, you know, it was the only place to go ride and once again got hooked. So, yeah. That fell, in love, fell in love with the sport twice. Oh, my God. Three or four times, actually. There's been, I think after every major injury, I was like, ah, I wrote it off. And then 
I'd come back and be more in love with it than I was the last time. And I still love it, honestly. Like I may not be a day-to-day participant. Um, I live in Colorado now as opposed to the East Coast, so it's a little harder to to make it to races or any of that stuff, but I still I still try to do what I can. Um, I still keep up with it. You know, I, I try to, you know, I just try to to still be an advocate for it, you know. And if I see somebody riding or see somebody, I've I've probably given away more helmets and riding gear than anybody on the planet. <laughs> just because um I'll see somebody with something, uh, you know, one of my neighbors has a, he actually has a Tri-Z 250. He's riding around with no helmet on. And I was like, no, you know, come here. And I outfitted that guy head to toe with stuff out of my basement. You know? That's awesome. That's what we need to, to keep people safe and, and doing it correctly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to make any more uh, statistics out there. You know, we want, uh, I, I cringe every time I see something on TV or in a movie or whatever with people riding without helmets. I'm just like, Oh no, you know, this isn't, you know, it's just, um, that's the one thing that, that, uh, that's always been like the biggest obstacle for the sport or for the industry, you know, it's just, um, you know, safety advocates coming after us. And I think if, if riders took the responsibility, you know, we'd be in better shape. I totally agree. Uh, personal responsibility is something that's not favored in, in our society today. And, uh, they want to blame somebody else, but I have always been under the pretense and, and educated by my dad, um, that you wear a helmet. I don't care if you're loading it in the trailer. I don't care if you're just going from one end of the property to the other. I don't care if you're going to go off and, you know, take a moment behind the truck. I don't care. Put a helmet on. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. I, it's funny. People make fun of me because, uh, when I ride, I dress like a stormtrooper. And even when I ride, uh, I do a downhill mountain biking now with my son and we are kitted head to toe. And, and, uh, I've got all the Fox safety gear that you could ever, you know, uh, buy. And it's just cause you know, that, that little saying, I, I don't know if it's a dirt, you know, motorcycle saying or ATV saying, but the don't dress for the ride, dress for the crash is, <laughs> is I live by that. You know, I, I just, I know how lucky how much luck I lack in life. And, um, and I feel like, you know, I, I should always dress, dress for the crash and be prepared. Yes. I wish more people thought that way, you know, being in the industry and some of the things that I've done, uh, you know, and, and seen done, uh, you know, I shake my head at myself, you know, I always had the helmet on, but I didn't always have all the rest of the stuff on. Right. Right. But you know, that's, that's, uh, that's part of it. The helmet's the, the bare minimum, but you know, at least you've got that, you know, if, if you, it's a good, it's a hell of a start, you know, the right. That is the, the part that you have to really worry about, you know? Yes, it is. So as you progressed, how did you meet John? Oh, okay. So my, uh, my foray into the national scene was, um, so I started racing, you know, again, uh, after college or whatever, when I got that stuff back and, um, I started racing all the local races, you know? Um, and it was just, I showed up one day for a practice and there was a race going on and they were like, Hey man, there's not enough ATVs out there. You want to race? And I was like, sure. And I, I raced and won that one. And I was like, Oh, this, you know, immediately you get hooked. And, um, so I started racing I, at the time I was living in Georgia and I raced everything there was to race in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. I was racing um, um, Sam Gammon's victory sport, the victory sports, um, the uh, 
God, a series in, I just had it on a, a tip of my tongue. Either way, he had a series that was in Tennessee and all that. We got to ride Muddy Creek and all these and all these tracks. I raced um, Donnie Banks being a you know big ATV guy. He had the Georgia Promoters Group at the time, and he was doing all these state. Um, you know, it was basically like a state championship series, and um, I was doing well in all of those. And I would notice that that you know there was weekends where I would I felt like I was just flying, and then all of a sudden you know one weekend there'd be. 15 dudes that I had never seen on really nice, like Lagers and, you know, just nice aftermarket chassis 250Rs. And I was like, where'd these guys come from? And why haven't they been at any of the other races? And um, in talking to them, they were like, oh, we race nationals. And I was like, huh, like nationals? And they were like, yeah. So I was like, all right, like, let's try nationals, you know? And uh, it was, I think, 97 before I raced my first national. and um, the first one I went to was uh, Daniel Boone. And um, I, I thought I was going to, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to do great. But I signed up for like a 250C class. There was like 80 of us trying to qualify for 20 gate positions. Um, and the guy, I was on a, you know, stock frame quad racer with stock suspension. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't set up like, you know, everybody else was on his beautiful ours and i remember a guy looking over at me on the line and going hey man who built your motor and i was like suzuki like i, I you know i had no idea that there was like all these custom motor builders and all that even though I, even though i was racing on a local level i just hadn't you know like um it wasn't a very well advertised portion of our industry you know like it was still the motocross was very niche and um yeah i i started um I started racing the nationals like that one. I didn't even qualify for. I think I crashed like seven times in a weekend. <laughs> um, but I was like, Oh, I, I want to qualify for this, you know? And that was it. Like from, uh, I did Daniel Boone and I hit Loretta Lynn's that year and qualified at Loretta Lynn's. And then the next year I raced all of them, you know? And, and I, I, I'm smart enough to like, when I got to the nationals and I saw the, the machines everybody had, like I was taking notes, you know? And talking to everybody, like if a dude beat me, I went and talked to him and I was like, so what are you riding? You know, and who does your suspension and who does this and who does that? And, and before you know it, I had, a I had ordered Lager. I had ordered, um, uh, PP shocks. Um, I, you know, I was like, that's it. I'm sold. Like, and, and the funny thing is, is that at the time I was, um, I owned a skateboard shop in Savannah and I owned a bar like a night, you know, live, it was a live music venue. And um, I had gotten them both to the point that I didn't really have to be there every day. So pretty soon I was just neglecting my businesses and, and spending every dime I had ordering parts. Or, you know, and I, I was fixing up, I, I fixed up the quad racer. I had picked up a 87 uh, Tech 8 or Takati 4 and, uh, and an old, 250R that I bought off of a guy at a gas station. Like he had it in the bed of his truck. And I was like, dude, you want to sell that thing? And he was like, what do you give me for it? And uh, I ended up, I think I gave him like 1200 bucks for it. And, um, and I was fixing all three of them up simultaneously just because I didn't know what I wanted to ride. Um, the Lager at that point was people would die now, but it was 18 months out to get a Lager chassis. Um, uh, I remember I ordered a Curtis Sparks motor. I waited almost two years for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so 
Yeah, that, but that was, uh, so that's how I got into the nationals. And then once I got to the nationals, I realized I was like, man, a lot of these people are, they're either way faster or way richer, you know? And the faster guys were getting support and the richer guys had their parents. And I was kind of like in this weird, like, you know, mid twenties, um, doing it on my own. I was like, well, I can write. And, you know, I was helping out um, my local track with the newsletter and I was like, well, I could start doing that. And I saw like an ad somewhere that MX East wanted somebody to write for them. And, um, so I started doing like race reports on the nationals for MX East. And that would give me like 50 bucks, which back then would buy you at least a tank of gas, you know, and get me to most of the races. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's when gas wasn't so, so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was a different time, but it was awesome. Like I met, you know, right off the bat, bat I met a lot of really good people and I, um, I befriended, uh, Mark Banger, you know, Mark Strawbanger, the announcer and, um, knowing Donnie Banks, he introduced me to a lot of guys. Oh, sorry about the dog. And, um, uh, Tim Farr and Shane Hit were coming to to Paradise Park in in Georgia to practice all the time, so I got to meet those guys. Um, you know, it, I got to meet a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pretty high up in the industry people, kind of right off the bat, and uh, which helped out. You know, I got a lot of great advice. I got great deals on parts, and um, and from that point on, I was just like wide open. I was like, oh, I, I've got to make a living in this, and I. I ended up getting rid of the bar and the skate shop just to kind of throw all my eggs into the ATV world. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Was, that's, that's quite a leap right there. Yeah. I, I just knew I was passionate about it. So what was your business of choice for ATVs? So I, and it's funny, I did a little bit of everything. I tried to help out. Um, I was trying to do graphic design, being that I had, I was a graphic design major. I was, um, you know, I noticed that there was a, a pretty um, like backyardy look to a lot of the people's stuff, you know, like they, they um, there weren't really very many designers in, in the industry, you know, or at least not at the races. So this was back before custom graphics or anything, you know, we weren't doing, um, you know, everybody would buy, you know, like a, a decal works graphics kit or something like that and just put your stickers on top of it. There were very few, like very custom, custom, custom kits. I mean, honestly, Duncan Racing and uh, and Max and K and K were about the only ones. Uh, it was K and K, Max, Duncan, and Lost Creek Cycles all had their own graphics kits, and that was about it. You know, um, everything else you would just order out of a magazine. But um, I started redoing people's logos. I started. I befriended uh, Jim Nacarado and um, was like, "Man, let me help you out." with uh with your stuff well actually that was a little later darren macarado initially but then jim macarado later on uh jim and shirley became second parents to me and uh but yeah i was trying to do everything that i could just to kind of promote it you know i was like okay if i can i had sold my businesses so i was doing all right i was living kind of off of that um i was doing just enough graphic design work to keep me afloat um you know, my overhead was cheap back then. You know, my house was a hundred thousand dollar house back then. Um, so it wasn't, uh, I, I didn't have very huge financial requirements. You know, I was just like, if I can make enough money each weekend, go to the races that it covers my race expenses, then, um, then I'm in. And, um, I immediately, like, I mean, I say immediately, I'd say 
uh, after 2000, 2001 ish, I started doing, yeah, it was about 2001. I started doing, um, stuff with the promoters group where I was, uh, showing up to races ahead of time. And, um, I was writing all the press releases. I was doing, um, press ahead of the races, which is something that they normally didn't do, um, where I would, you know, I was looking at, uh, AMA results and AMA entries and, um, or ATVA memberships and seeing what racers were from that state and get, you know, putting together quotes and everything from all these people, giving them to the local press in each market that we were going to and just trying to get us some exposure. Cause I figured if we could get some exposure, then we can eventually, you know, I, my thought back then was um, if we get some exposure, we could get more sponsors. We could get more sponsors means more money, more rides, more everything. The whole sport kind of elevates, you know? And um, I, agree. I agree. Yeah. And that was, that was my goal. You know, I was like, so I started working kind of with the, with the promoters. I, I was like Jack of all trades, you know, like, I mean, I had, um, I was doing design stuff for Pelin. I was by this point I was writing for Pelin. I was shooting photos. I was uh, doing the press releases. Um, I was writing for, uh, back then it was a company out of Pennsylvania that was doing the event programs and I was writing for those guys. Um, and just trying to keep, keep things current, you know, like the, the event programs used to be the same program with a different first page, uh, you know, at every single race. And I was like, no, man, we can, we need like original content every time, you know, like we need a, we need, um, like yeah, all it takes is a little effort. Like they're printing it anyway, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I was trying to, even though they said, okay, we're only doing the, it was basically the, um, cover spread, you know, so you had the cover, back cover, inside covers, and then the first page, the last page, you know, second to last page and second page, you know what I mean? Like uh, those two sheets of, of paper were all they were reprinting. But I was like, if we could get original content on those pages and make it regional content and feature some of these writers that are from these areas, then, um, then it, you know, it would be good. It would be for those writers. It would be, it, it might show them like, Hey, bring it to a local sponsor and be like, look, you know, this, this I just raced 15 minutes from here and here's some exposure I got, you know, and I, I was thinking in that, in that sense, I was thinking marketing, um, the whole time and, and how to just elevate, uh, elevate the sport. Um, but yeah, it, it was awesome. And that's, and that's what you and John tried to work together on with, with some other people. Yeah, John. Uh, so with John, um, more than anything. But so um, back then, I was doing just a, a lot of graphic design for John, and just like uh, race coverage, you know, race reports and all that for anything that he wasn't at. I, you know, I tried to be at. Um, as things went on, um, I got a little faster. I, I won some state championships. I eventually got sponsored by Nax Racing. Um, and got put on their team right the year before uh, Cannondale came on as our as our title sponsor. Um, so that was good, you know. I think Jim appreciated kind of my go getterness, and um, and he kind of put me in charge of like all the amateur kids, even though I was an amateur myself. So um, we had what we called the bullpen, and um, it was a like Kyle Taylor, Jason Rich, myself. Um, God, uh, Nate Freeze, um, Nate Leverance, uh, you know, all these guys were, were kind of 
supposed to be under my thing. Um, you know, like I, I was supposed to be like the middleman between the writers and, and, um, the team, you know, the team itself, just that Jim and Shirley weren't being bombarded with, um, you know, with writer request stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, like, I don't know, I'd say we were all working kind of, it was, uh, the reminisce video guy, Rick, um, Ray Christie, which used to be like the, almost like the series manager ish guy, um, Mark Strawbang or Donnie Banks is one of the promoters, like all of us kind of working together, like collectively to try to elevate things constantly. Like we talked to all the team owners. Um, we were, you know, I remember I was like, man, let's try to get some, like almost do press days, you know, um, in 2003, we started the, the mobile medical unit, which was a ripoff from the Supercross um, asterisk medical unit. But it was a way smaller scale version. It was um, Gary Denton was with Weekend Warrior at the time. And um, he got us a trailer. And um, we had Doc Reagan, which was a, a parent of, of uh, two racers that were uh, racing the Nationals. And um, he, you know, he loaded it up with medical equipment. And our thing was like, man, why go to some hospital in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee or Kentucky? What, you know, when we could have a real physician, you know, check you out on the track. And if he assesses like, yeah, this thing's, you know, cause a lot of times you hurt something, you don't know if it's broken. Well, doc, what could tell you, you know, go get x-rays or don't, or if it, I mean, he would stitch people up at the track, he would do all this stuff, you know, free of charge, which was awesome. You know? Um, so we, we, um, we started the mobile medical unit. We, uh, we did a bunch of, I, I think we did a bunch of cool stuff, you know? Um, got ourselves into some trouble. I think, uh, I think I was probably the first big mouth on the internet to realize that there was consequences in forums <laughs> and that people read forums. And, uh, and, um, you know, at the time it was, I had so many ideas, you know, and I had, um, a lack of that. I wouldn't say a complete lack, but there was a lot of politics and a lot of things that went on in the industry that I wasn't completely privy of. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, uh, keen to or privy to the information that you know hey you say hey we should be doing this and this and this and this and this that at some point those people might have relationships with your sponsors and be able to pull sponsors out from under you and and that kind of thing you know um so i uh yeah and, uh, john's forums on atvscene.com got me into a whole lot of trouble just um because i would call people out for for lack of effort and lack of um like i was trying to hold people accountable for for, you know, these, these guys that were saying that they championed the sport and we're all for the riders, but weren't backing it up, you know? And I, I would be like, no, dude, like, you know, even the promoters with the, um, with the, uh, EMTs versus paramedics, like, you know, we had EMTs at the tracks and I was like, dude, this is a very high risk activity we're, we're, uh, participating in. Like we need paramedics. Like I need somebody that, that can give me drugs as opposed to just holding my hand and waiting for a paramedic to show up, you know, like. And, uh, and I called people out on things like that, not realizing how offended they were going to be a and B like how much, um, effect or control they had behind the scenes on being able to ruin my, <laughs> my, uh, life as a racer. You know, they, they, there was just a lot of really ugly politics back then. I think there's still politics and everything. Yeah. Um, we, the grayer your hair gets, the easier it is to navigate some of it. Yep. You know, you don't, 
you don't talk about certain things. And if you want to call somebody out, you make a, a, a discreet phone call and, and right. handle it that way. And, stay, stay off of the, you know, this is an oxymoron, stay off of social media. Yep. <laughs> <You know>? Hello. <laughs> yeah. But it's the truth, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not a social media guy and here I am with a podcast that lives and dies on social media. Yep. Yeah. It's, but uh, you know, I also, I took a step away from all of it when, when real politics came into play, like I, I, um, I remember these were early days of the internet where it was very, you know, before we had these huge social media platforms, you know, we had forums and it was like, you know, you went to a forum and, um, you know, there was guys that would come up with a clever screen name that was completely anonymous. And then there was guys like myself that would, you know, George Quartus was my, you know, George Quartus 72 was my screen name on everything. And, um, so I was like, Oh, there's no, you know, like I stand behind what I'm saying. I'm not going to hide behind my keyboard and, and write, uh, you know, uh, anonymous stuff. And in hindsight, I was like, oh, wow, that uh, that really came back to bite me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I, I don't feel like I ever made any huge egregious um, statements. Like it was just, you know, ugly truths that people didn't want to want to face. You know, um, when the WPSA came about in in 2006, well, 2005 is when we kind of started forming it, but 2006 when we we did that um the uh, world the great outdoor games um right you know uh, I was involved you know heavily involved in that like I was on the committee to to um select the riders and come up with the rules and and do all that stuff. By that point, I had been I had been in the industry like fairly heavily for a while now, and um and I remember it was um. It was such a divisive thing to to support new ideas, you know, like it was like there were serious consequences to saying, hey, you know, we want to race on ESPN and we want to do this and we want to do that. People did not like that, you know. Um, but prior to all that, I had actually um, in 2003, I think it was. Yeah, 2003 through John Pellin, um, I ended up. Uh, like I found out that the contract uh, for the people that were producing the event programs for the GNCCs and uh, uh, ATV motocross and TT uh, series, um, the company that was doing those, um, their, their contract was up. And I was like, man, we could do something way better. So I made a mock-up program of what I was proposing to do on the side outside of the industry. Um, my buddy and I were already producing a really, really successful graffiti magazine. Um, that was like, I mean, to this day, you could go on eBay and try to find back issues of this thing and people are paying hundreds of dollars for these old issues. And, um, so we already had print knowledge. I had relationships with printers. Um, I knew how to lay things out for print. And, um, I proposed to the, the, the promoters. I said, look, we'll do a full color. Everything will be original. Like, you know, it'll be a mag, you know, magazine quality, every single event. And, um, and it was an undertaking, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I had a lot of, uh, awesome contributing photographers from John Howell to Adam Campbell. Um, uh, what's your name? Um, God, uh, Tim Farr's wife. Um, I can't, Julie Farr, uh, John Pellin, all of them were giving me photos. I had, um, that doctor, Doc Reagan writing articles, uh, for me called the medical minute. I had Joe Bird doing uh, writer tips. 
um, like writing tips. Um, I was doing like race recaps and all this stuff. And man, we, I, I, w- I was producing a full blown 42 page. Yeah, it was 42 page uh, event program, full color, all original. Uh, you know, I would get home uh, Monday after the races and um, or yeah, like Sunday night, Monday after the races, I had to have it to the printer and um, with all photos from the previous race. So Monday morning, you know, I would work Monday till about seven o'clock at night and then burn discs and FedEx them because FedEx closed at eight. Um, I would FedEx them to the printer just to get them in time for the, you know, we had a two week turnaround back then for the races. And I was doing this for three different series and doing, um, I'd say 80% of the writing myself, all of the graphic design myself, um, uh, probably 60% of the photography myself, plus selling ads, plus doing all that. Plus I had started a race team at the same time. By that time, Nax had decided, um, Jim and Shirley had decided that they were, they were done. And, um, there was a couple of writers on, on next that we were all like, what are we going to do? And since I was the one that had been dealing with the sponsors for Jim, I was like, well, I've got relationships with a lot of these sponsors. You know, I was like, let's start something. And we started the, the whole media all-stars team in 2004. Um, Mark Kendall, Zach Willett, and myself, and a guy named Kyle Taylor that also wrote for next. So all decided, Hey, we're going to start a team and we're going to make it like the anti team. It's going to be like this punk rock thing, like <laughs> no corporate, nothing. It's going to be like fun and crazy. And, and, uh, and we did it, you know, and, uh, at the same time that I was running these event programs and doing all this other stuff. So it was, I was honestly working probably 16, 18 hour days. Um, back then from 2004 to 2007, I was working, I'd say roughly 16, 18 hours a day, like six days a week or seven days a week, you know, wow. it was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where all this gray hair came from. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that it, it came from other places, but we can blame it on that. Yeah. Can I change the subject really quick because sure. I've been sitting here listening to everything that you talk about. And I have one thought in my mind and it won't go away. What's that? How do you modify your shifter? So, um, I lost my left leg. So I made a linkage. Well, a guy, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I had, um, uh, a mechanic back then that he was a local guy. He owned a, a shop called M accessories and he came up with this linkage where it was, um, he took a shift, the, uh, the shift lever, mounted it on the shift shaft. Um, you know, it was about two inches long, you know, and he mounted it uh, vertically. And then it had a rod that went um, to another shift shaft. That was, you know, so this one went, it went up here and it went down here and the rod went across. And then there was a, that sh- shaft went all the way across to a shifter back on my right foot. So, um, it, it was really unique, but it worked. Like I had the same shifting, um, you know, one down five up kind of shifting. Um, but it was on, it was mounted on the right. And, um, what we did was I got rid of my, my rear brakes. Cause I was like, you know, you can, you don't really need them as much. <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I, I was very front brake heavy. You know, I had learned kind of early on to, to be a front brake guy. 
And then at one point, I actually mounted a thumb brake just so that I could pass tech inspection, like a, a left thumb brake uh, for my rear brakes. But um, I honestly, like, I, I bled it, and I think that's the last time I used it, you know? Um, <laughs> so I, for years and years, I didn't run rear brakes at all until some guy, some jackass in Casey, Illinois, <laughs> um, tried to protest me for uh, for not having um, not having rear brakes. And I remember Smitty, the the old um, referee who actually passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Robert Smith, uh, came walking up with the guy, and the guy's dad is pointing at my at my uh, quad in in um uh, in staging. He's like, this guy is not safe. This guy's this. This guy's that. Uh, I'm not gonna let my boy out there on the track. And Smitty said, "Man, you just don't want your boy to get outrun by a one-legged guy." <laughs> and he was like, "What?" And he goes. Don't worry about it. Your kid's not going to be anywhere near him. He's going to smoke your kid. And that was the referee talking. And the referee walked away. And that guy was like, you know, just shocked that the, re you know. But I, then after the race, I talked to Smitty and I was like, um, dude, I really, I really do need to put some kind of rear brake on there. Just, you know, I don't want to put you in that position again. So I ended up, um, yeah, installing a thumb brake at that point. It was like a GP Tech thumb brake. I think they're for um, uh, road bikes. So really, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. Like, uh, you know, having lost my leg so young, um, I, you know, I was smart enough to milk it for all it was worth with, you know, for sponsors and all that. I was like, Hey, I'm the only amputee national level racer, blah, blah, blah at the time. Um, but, uh, it, as my friend put it, he said, man, it's a long drive home when you get beat by a one legged guy. <laughs> and, um, it, it, you know, I, I, I think I was fast enough where, you know, for most of my career, a lot of, you know, unless I was wearing shorts in the pits, people didn't know, you know, what, I mean, the regulars knew me, you know, but like, if you were a local guy that just showed up at that one race, um, and you saw me walk into the pits would probably be the first time you'd notice that I was a one-legged guy, you know, unless you're really staring at my, at my machine or whatever, but it, you know, it was, a. Uh, it never really uh, held me back much. And, you know, back then, you know, it, it was, uh, we had some funny moments where at Red Bud, um, I was running in third in my heat race. And I can't remember what I did, but my foot went, you know, like my tire, basically, like my foot went between my Nerf bar and my rear fender, like, you know, and, and got sucked by the tire and it kind of pulled my leg off inside of my pants. still. my pants were still tucked in. I, came around to like uh right before the finish line there's that little spectator area and um i threw my it was the last lap i was in third place and i threw my leg at jason dunkelberger that old racer <laughs> um and, <laughs> and he was like dude it was the funniest thing ever he goes it was like a grenade landed in a, you know he said people just ran like scattered and uh and uh yeah and we had some funny moments you know like uh amputee uh prosthesis moments at, at um in Danville, Virginia, I overjumped this jump and crashed my brains up. My leg ended up like twisted and it was like folded underneath me and just, it looked horrible, but I was fine. Like I had, it was one of those crashes that was fast enough that I just skipped as opposed to lawn dart, darted. And um, I remember the, I was trying to get up and the, the flagger was trying to hold me down and was going, man, don't look down, man. Don't look down. And I was like, I'm fine, dude. Like, you know, like, let me up. Like, you know, there's a race going on. I need to get back out there. I, I knew I was fine. 
And the guy's like, man, you're just in shock. You're just in shock. And when uh, I, I like managed to sit up and I saw the leg and I like twisted it and put it on. He was like, <clears throat> like he was about to throw up. And um, <laughs> I made it back to my, to my quad, jumped on, finished the race. And after the race, like changed and walked down there and came down there in shorts. And the guy's like, man, I about had a heart attack, man. Don't ever do that to me again. And it's funny because every year after that, when I go to the race, he'd make me take a picture with him because I guess he had told that story a million times. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, so I had some funny ones like that, you know, where it would uh, it would um, it would scare people, you know. But it, well, it was no, if you didn't know, that would be crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that we we used to mess with the paramedics too. Like I used to turn it around backwards. Like if there was a cute. Uh, uh, EMT at the at the race. Sorry, my dog's over here. Um, if there was a cute EMT or whatever um, at the at the races, I would turn it backwards and walk up and be like, "Man, my friends keep telling me not to look down." And I'd be like cringing. I'm like, I th- I twisted my ankle. Is it bad? And it would literally be facing backwards, and it would be, ah! you know. Um, so we had we had fun with it. The, not to stay on the leg subject forever, but uh. <laughs> The best one was I had gotten Jeremiah Jones. Um, uh, it was Jeremiah Jones and all the JPMX team was, we were in uh, at High Point um, and we were all eating dinner in Morgantown, West Virginia. And I pulled some prank on them where I, I had the, the waitress announce that um, Jeremiah Jones and Josh Starrett were having their one year anniversary. And, and uh, she came out with like the whole kitchen staff, bang, 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 they, they're all, banging on pots and pans and she stood up on the table and was like, attention, Texas Roadhouse. Today is Jeremiah and Josh's one year anniversary. And Jeremiah, as shy as he was, he was like trying to hide under the, the table. And it was, it was, it was hilarious. And, um, and uh, the next morning I was at the race and I was staying in my friend's camper. And um, I, I wake up, you know, I was sleeping on a little couch right by the front door. And I hear the like the, the screen door just slammed shut. And I'm like, what is, you know, like what I look and I see the back of Jeremiah's head, like running out, out of the thing. And I'm like, man, I don't know what they did to me, but they did something. And I start getting dressed and I'm like, damn it. Where's my leg? So I hop out of the camper and they're like, Hey George, you're going to pledge allegiance. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you're going to pledge. Do you know, are you going to pledge allegiance to the flag? I was like, the national anthem's not even going. They're like, but pledge allegiance to the flag. And I was like, and I turned around and I looked out in the middle of the track, hanging from the flagpole. They hung my leg. It was the American flag and my leg hanging underneath it. And I was like, oh, you sons of... <laughs> I, uh, we laughed so hard. That, that, like, that was what... But I love that about that, that community. Like, we, we joked around and messed with each other. But at the end of the day, it was like, you know, or, or we raced against each other. But at the end of the day, it was like a big family, you know? So... Oh. It was awesome. It was, but yeah, that was, that was probably the best anybody's ever gotten me with the whole like thing. They, uh, and somebody at the races to this day, I still don't know who it was while I was taking a shower, painting all the toenails on my uh, prosthetic foot and put my sock and everything back on it and shoe while I was in the shower. And, um, I got out, had no idea. And it wasn't until like a week later that I went to go for a swim. And, um, I, I used to swim, I used to do triathlon stuff. So I would always swim at this pool. And I took the sock off and I've got bright red painted toenails on my prosthetic foot. I was like, all right, nobody will fess up to that one. I don't know who that one was. 
That's too funny. Yeah. I did see a picture in your, in the photos that you sent me uh, of you running a race. Was that? Yeah, that was a uh, triathlon stuff. I, I started doing that. Um, so I raced all the way through 05 and um, as luck would have it, uh, I, in 01, I broke my femur at a uh, uh, silver dollar raceway in, in Georgia. Um and it's funny, I went, at the time, the state championship, the Georgia state championship had gotten really competitive. And Jason Rich had just won the 250B class at the Nationals and was moving up to 250A. And um, he, or no, he hadn't won it yet. He was going to run 250B. And um, he and I were, were good buddies, but very competitive with each other on the local level. Like, um, you know, we'd usually go 2-1-1-2 one, one, kind of thing. And... Um, that day, I, I had just bought a Lager. It was a no-link. I had never ridden a no-link. I hadn't even ridden it in, in practice. And I decided I was going to race this thing. And um, I hit some little step-up thing, and it just bucked me over. Like, um, I was doing, like, a heart attack kind of thing. Chasing, trying to chase Jason down, basically, is, is uh, what it came down to. And I ended up breaking my hip and femur and um, getting a nasty concussion. and then. Uh, 2005, I broke that femur again, and it was just about healed, and I broke it again, <laughs> and um, all riding, and uh, I ended up getting a nasty bone infection, and um, so I ended up having like eight surgeries between 05 and 06, because my right leg, you know, I was like, I'm the only idiot that's going to lose two legs to two different accidents, you know, like, um, so the right leg was in really bad shape. You know, they were like, man, you know, it, you could lose the leg to, to this infection. So, um, that was at that point after I think the eighth surgery, I was laying in the hospital uh, bed going, man, the scale, you know, it used to be like, if I put racing on one side of the scale, you know, like the fun I'm having and versus the injuries and the misery, the fun always outweighed the, the, um, misery. But for the first time, I didn't feel that way. You know, I was like, man, you know, eight surgeries later, I had lost all this weight. I, you know, I was just miserable. And I, I said, ah, I'm done. But I, I had already started that whole media all-stars team. I was still doing the event programs. I was doing all that at the time. And I was like, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, the most fun I have at the races is my friends. You know, like um, I could still go to the races. I could help out a bunch of younger kids. Um, I could... Uh, keep doing these programs, keep doing everything like behind the scenes to try to like elevate the sport a little bit and, uh, and see what happens, you know? And shortly after that, that was, uh, that was Oh five, Oh five and Oh six. And then, um, during, while I was still on, I got out of the hospital just to go to the great outdoor games, um, you know, down in Orlando or whatever. And uh, I was still on crutches and everything. And then we decided we were going to do the WPSA series uh, it was like all the same guys that were behind the great outdoor games and um and they were like man do you want to be on the board of the wpsa series and i was like yeah absolutely and then at the same time um um a whole bunch of the politics that i was talking about before that's when the internet really kind of bit me um i was like rallying people to go to the wpsa series and um the uh, racer productions people weren't too keen on that. You know, they, they thought that I was trying to pull people away. And it, it was just, 
the end of the day, I understand everybody is trying to protect their interests and all that, but it ended up us uh, with us losing our title sponsor for media all-stars, which was FMF at the time. Um, immediately, like within hours of losing FMF, uh, Brent Russell from Yoshimura called me and was like, Hey man, their loss is our gain. Like we want you to be a Yosh team. We want you to be a Yosh Suzuki team. As a matter of fact, we had been an FMF Honda team. And um, I was like, okay. So, you know, I assembled a, a super team um, on Yosh Suzuki's and then, uh, and then I started working uh, Brent Russell also and Rod Lapuznak, um got me a job with, um, they want, we set up this like really innovative um, kind of concept for Tucker Rocky wanted to buy um, Suzuki's sponsorships in the sense of um, we had, you know, that was, we had Wimmer and Gust at the time and we picked up Wienan and um, like, basically, I don't know. I think it was Brent Russell that came up with the whole thing of like, Hey, why don't we let Tucker Rocky's brands be like, you know, like let Tucker Rocky, since they have so many in-house brands um, be our title sponsor. And, um, and we worked it out where they hired me to, to sell sponsorships Two Tuckeraki brands, you know, like they, like I was technically a consultant, but being paid by Tuckeraki. So, um, like Tuckeraki distributed Maxis tires back then. So it was, hey, um, you know, Maxis, instead of writing a check, why don't you give us X amount of dollars worth of product to Tuckeraki for them to distribute? You know, so we had like they gave me a dollar goal, like this is what it's going to cost us to run Suzuki's program for the year, and um, you raise this amount. We don't care how you raise it. You know, as long as they agree with the sponsors and, uh, and, um, and we'll, you know, we'll get the, 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 basically we'll write them a check, you know, for a couple hundred grand and you're getting us a couple hundred grand in product at cost, which we're going to upsell and we're actually going to make money on this. So Suzuki was happy because they didn't have to chase a bunch of sponsors. I, uh, Takaraki was happy because they were building these relationships, uh, you know, like, um, with their with their um with their existing like not clients but vendors or whatever um i was trying to bring in people like um you know like uh, walsh racecraft and and brands that tuckeraki didn't distribute like i was trying to open these avenues to all these smaller really you know kind of niche little companies that i thought could benefit from from being distributed by tuckeraki and um yeah, in the end, I think it, it worked out great. You know, we we um, I, I think I raised almost six hundred percent of what the goal was. You know, and everybody was stoked. You know, that that meant more money for everybody across the board. Um, with within uh working with Takaraki, a guy named Josh Whitaker was in charge of Answer at the time, and he was Answer, and um, he was kind of involved with MSR, but not as much. He was just more of an Answer guy, but uh. We got Ryan Dungey that year, you know? Um, so it was a, it, Suzuki had like a, a, a really good, we had a good thing going. We were sponsoring um, Gary Jones's off-road team. We were doing um, all these like Yoshimura smaller teams. We were doing um, Michael Jordan's uh, the super bike team, um, the ATV teams. Um, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like 07 was amazing. Um, as far as, you know, just learning the real business behind the industry, you know, that's so cool. Those yeah. are things that I didn't know that went on. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was an innovative idea, you know, yeah, that 
That's awesome. So when Suzuki decided to go away, were you still involved? I was kind of fringe involved. Like my team was like uh, media all-stars was still a Suzuki team, but um, it was like, we got word of the, the whole, um, the cherry bomb fiasco um, with the, with the LTR. They told me, Hey, we're, we're having a problem with the, what was it? The EPA, I think that was finding them because they said that the, the plug for the cherry bomb was, that wasn't who it was, but uh, I don't want to, yeah. I don't you remember to, the the whole thing. I know thing. exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when that whole thing came out, like they, they told us like, Hey, this is going on. But, um, I, at that point, since they didn't really have like the big race effort and they didn't have all that as much Corey Ellis had kind of taken over a, a ton of everything. It's funny. Cause Corey, Corey actually made my job at Tucker Rocky. Like he was my contact point with the team. And he and I have been friends forever. So, but he actually like stepped my whole game up. Like, um, like I showed up like, yeah, this is going to be easy. And he was like, no, you know, and he kind of um, really schooled me on a lot of things. And Brent Russell, which was, you know, he was a mentor to me. Like I've never been insulted by somebody that I, that I, uh, that I love more than I, I remember I would call Brent Russell and Wayne Hinson and be like, Hey, I've got this idea. And it, sometimes it'd be like, that's great. And sometimes Brent would be like, you are an idiot. And I was like, okay, you know, but it, it all, came, he was, he was really like a, a, a huge mentor of mine. Like he really, um, uh, like off the record behind the scenes would tell me things and teach me things that, you know, just things to consider that I had never really considered. You know, I, w- I was looking at very surface things and he was showing me things that were eight levels deep that I had to consider before, you know, proposing certain things. And I was like, wow, man, that's awesome. Like he, he was a, a hell of a guy, you know, um, his, his, um, involvement at Yosh, like, um, like really steered me in the right direction. And I think really, you know, between he and Rod Lapuznak and Wayne Henson, I think that they changed the ATV industry for the better. And so, you know, in a million different ways. They're outside the box thinkers for sure. I agree with that. I agree with that. There's, there's a, a lot of different people that have done their part to change our industry and to, to develop it in directions that nobody ever saw coming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, prior to, to the OEMs coming in and like Cannondale coming in, um, I mean, it really was the aftermarket. It was all the Duncans and, the, you know, uh, Duncan's and the Lost Creek Cycles and all the all these teams that were next racing, you know, that were really um, keeping this thing on a on a uh, like on par, you know, like it wasn't like this backyard, you know, we weren't racing riding lawnmowers. Like there was some great technology and great innovation and great, you know, just we had some brilliant minds, guys like Mark Baldwin that are, you know really, really, really intelligent engineers and, and all these motor builders that were, you know, <laughs> taking a dinosaur of a 250R and, and making them amazing machines. You know, I agree. And the, the, the I, I love the fact that the factories came in and I hate it all at the same time. Absolutely. Because I, it I made our, well, being in, being working for one of the companies that was a pioneer and 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 a, and a supporting leg of this of the industry, 
um, the factories didn't come to us. No, 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 they, they, none of the, none of the, none of the legs that were holding the industry up got helped. No, I, yeah, I agree 100%. It was, it was, um, and then unfortunately what ended up happening in my opinion, opinion was, um, that the promoters saw the factories as a shiny new thing. And they were like, how, you know, the hell with, to hell with all the guys that kept us afloat, you know, and it, it was sad. Uh, but I could see where everybody got swept up in it. You know, it was like such an exciting thing. I mean, there was nothing like seeing, you know, uh, Tim Farr, be, you know, announced that he was riding for, for Honda or, or uh, any of that stuff. You know, it was, it was these like pivotal moments, but where you don't realize the collateral damage that's being done to, to the little guys, you know? And um, what sucks is that, you know, at the time, I don't think that any of us, you know, well, actually, I'm not going to say that any of us, because there, there were people that were, uh, that were advocating for, hey, what about the Lagers and the Lone Stars and the Duncans and the Rolls and the Walshes and, the, you know, um, what about all these guys? And it was like, well, they're just going to be accessories guys as opposed to like chassis guys, you know, um, uh, anymore. And, you know, everything just kind of, um, it it was so uh, inviting kind of, and enticing, you know. We're still here and they're gone. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that's uh, it's it's funny because once again, it's great and it's awful all at the same. You know what I mean? It's the the the, the cycle repeated itself because I remember, you know, like I I had my uh, Lager. Um, I, I had sold my Protrex and I had a roll design front end on it and um. It was, I love that thing, you know, it was, and I had gone away from PPs and I was on custom access at that time. Cause I was uh, buddies with Mike Halleck and, um, and, uh, you know, I still have that machine. It's, it's gorgeous, you know, and it, it's as state of the art as my Suzuki that I've got with the full Yosh motor and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I'd still, I'd still take my sparks 330 over that, you know? I, I, I get it, man. I get it. <laughs> the two fifty, the two fifty craze is is alive and well and uh, yep. growing. I would say not as crazy as it was in, in the nineties, but it's pretty busy, man. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you: What would you attribute? Um, like I, I, I see side by sides. Like I love side by sides. I've got razors and all that stuff. But um, I think that side by sides really took a huge chunk out of the sport quad and the sport ATV industry. You know, I think. Um, Let me put it to you this way: the UTVs came in and punched us right in the nose. Yep. Um, the ATV industry, uh, for for the people that are true ATV fans, you know, brushed ourselves off, cleaned the blood off, and have fought back extremely well in my opinion because with the events that happened in 2020 with the with the covid thing i think that the overall off-roading industry whether it be utv motorcycle or atv gained a resurgence because people figured out hey i still really enjoy my four-wheeler or my three-wheeler and that has sparked a, a new love for the industry and yep there's young people now involved in it that are riding and the customer base that I get to talk to is the young people 
and you know, along with the the older the the parents and the grandparents, and um, it, it's amazing to me that I think that the ATV industry is on an upswing. I believe that we are in dire need of a new production sport quad. Yeah. Uh, nothing against the Yamaha. That's a great platform. Uh, it's going to be hard for one of the manufacturers to come in and compete with it. We always joke uh, because I'm not an orange fan that if KTM did it, they would have three different versions of the same <laughs> quad and you'd have four different so-called manufacturers out there. And it would just, I, I think the overall enthusiasm, not that you have factory rigs out there again, but that it's supported by the little guys in the industry, but you have some funding, you know, coming in so that you can support these little teams. Um, one of the things that I think is missed is everybody focuses so much energy on the motocross nationals. Yeah. Uh, your cross country stuff is the cornerstone to the industry. Um, and I'm not a East coast guy. I'm a West coast guy. And I, I see it because of the size and the entries they get per race um, smokes everybody else because it's individual riders riding one class. Yep. It's like 22,000 riders at times, right? Okay. Did they get like 1800 or something like that. Yeah. And for a motocross national where people are riding sometimes two and three classes, you're getting, you know, 350 to 400 riders. Well, yep. how many of them are riding two classes? You get off-road race. It works. You know, you get 300, 350. Well, half of those people are riding two classes. Yep. Yeah. The, the numbers are, are down, you know, considerably. And it's, I, I remember. Um, well, they, they're, they're up right now They're because they were way worse. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're, they're definitely um, put it this way. We, we, we hit a big lull there for a while and, uh, and they may be on the upswing a little bit, but um, I remember when, when, you know what I think uh, ruined the motocross, um, in my opinion, was um, the uh, the what you're talking about. Like, okay, and I get it from a business standpoint. Uh, if we only have X amount of riders, let's do um, let's add way more classes. But I remember when it was 250A and Open A, and dude, if you were you had to be a bad dude to qual. You know, there'd be 110 guys trying to qualify for 250A. You know, and and, and, and that's. that's but that's what it should be. They should go back to simple is better because yep. I'm wearing it. I'm wearing an ATV talk t-shirt that has the kiss method on the back. Keep it simple, stupid, stupid. Yep. Because yep. if you format it, Hey, you have this race with this many classes period, no more, you know, and, and, and run it. Um, people will come, people will race those races. People will race those classes. When you have, classes, you have five pro-am classes or four pro-am classes. What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I've seen people show up to sign up and see who, which class has got the least amount of dudes just that they wouldn't have to qualify and be like, yeah, I'm going to run this version of a, you know, like at one point there was four stroke, a, um, it was four stroke, a two fifty a open a, and, um, I can't remember what the other one, was, but there was four and I was like on oh, production a, and I was like, well, why do we need four? A classes and four B classes and four C class. Like I was yeah. like, man, you should have an age and a skill and you get to, you know, you could run, you know, if you want to run, um, I, I thought it should be like a 450A and an open A, 
you know, in a, in a 450B and open B, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah, because you would run your open A class could be your hybrids. Yep. And anybody that wants to run a big bore. Yep. Okay. And then your production class is production 450, period. Yeah. You know, I think this is going to not set well with engine builders, but I think they need <laughs> to put a compression. Uh, you need to regulate the rules in the in the lower classes, the C and B class, so that you can't come in with a go over and buy Chad Wienan's bike and go race the C class. Right. They need to freaking regulate it. Say, no, you're an entry level class. These are only the modifications you're allowed to do. Yeah, that would be right. Class, you're allowed to do this much. When you get to the A class, you're allowed to do this much. And then when you get to the pro class, you can't really regulate it. You have to let those pro guys go. Yeah, push it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, why are we regulating steroids in professional athletics? If they want to kill themselves or they want to have body trouble later. It's yeah, that's a, on them. It's a professional sport. Let it go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Um, you know, in, in 2013, um, I got uh I got hired to be the series marketing manager, but they said, Hey, I I drove up to to Morgantown, West Virginia and had lunch with uh Carrie Coombs, which it's funny, I had had there was a point where I think that if either one of us could have gotten away with murdering the other one, we probably would have. You know what I mean? Like we were at you know, just clashing earlier in the years. And then when I was working for ATV Rider Magazine, I actually did a big article on her and we kind of mended everything and actually kind of came to appreciate each other quite a bit. And, um, and she offered me this job to see if I wanted to uh, come in and work with the nationals. And I said, I don't want to be the face of your bad decisions. You know, I said, if you guys are going to let me come in and implement some changes, you know, I I'm all for it. I was like, I, I, all I want to do is, is make positive changes. I said, I've been on every end of it now. You know, I've, I've, I've promoted events. I've, I've raced events. I own a race team. Like, let me come in and let's make some changes that make it more affordable for people more, you know, and, and I came up with a list of, I mean, it was like literally 40 something changes that I wanted to make. <laughs> and they were, some of them were minuscule, but you know, things that, that, you know, complaints I'd heard for a million, you know, for years and years and years in the industry. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I started with this list and we would have these meetings and it would get whittled down and it would have these meetings and it would get whittled down and have these, you know, and finally I got to a point where I said, you know what, I'm like, I'm not just going to be a figurehead. Like I, I don't want to be here at your, at your events, um, without, and she was like, you just have to be patient. And in, in retrospect, I wish I would have stuck it out, you know, but I got so frustrated that like, I, I just wanted to see like something substantial happen. And, um, you know, I, I was friends with a lot of guys that, you know, that are in your position, you know, that are selling parts. And at the time, uh, Dan from Lone Star, Dan Fisher, he's a, a good friend of mine. We were, we would talk about things all the time. You know, I would talk, you know, I would talk to Curtis, which it, to get Curtis Sparks to speak a bunch is hard, but I would get him to talk. I would talk to all these pros. I would talk to, and I, I felt like um, a lot of people had my ear and I was filtering all this information and just trying to get, come up with something that I thought would help everybody, you know? And, uh, and once I saw that none of that was going to happen, I was like, eh, you know, I'm not getting paid enough to, to 
dedicate this much time, be away from my kids, travel all the time to not make an impact, you know? And like I said, in hindsight, I kind of wish, um, to be honest, in 2014, I was kind of losing my mind in general, you know, like I, I was, uh, I think I would, um, I was going through some like serious, like PTSD kind of stuff. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter at the time was four years old and she had gotten attacked by, uh, it's funny. I lose my leg to pit bulls and she gets attacked by my, uh, ex-mother-in-law's Labrador. And, um, and it just opened up a whole can of crazy and, you know, the, uh, thoughts and things that had been suppressed in the back of my head from the time I was 11, all of a sudden we're in the forefront. And I was like, I went to sleep and I was having crazy nightmares. I was like just depressed and everything and irritable. And when I saw the last of those changes go away, I was like, the hell with all of this, you know, um, I think had it been any other time in my life, I would have been, um, I probably would have stuck it out and maybe would have made, you know, had the ability to make some really good changes, but I was just at my wits end at that point, you know, like, you know, outside of the industry, like the, the, my daughter getting hurt was, you know, brutal. So, well, I'll, I'll ask this and then we can go on. You got help and, and she did too, I'm assuming. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, you know, and it's funny cause I know a lot of the stuff is like super taboo, but, uh, I was, I was depressed. I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts. I was having all the stuff that you hear about, um, you know, that you're like, Oh, that could never happen to me. I was, it had gotten to the point where in my head, I was like, man, I'm a burden, you know, I couldn't. And I think I just had this weird feeling like I can't protect my kids, you know, like, um, it was just a, a, a weird, uh, weird depression, but yeah, I went and saw a doctor and they put me on antidepressants that I take to this day. And they, you know, it's like, I have no shame in it. I figure, dude, whatever that little happy pill is like, um, people have gone, Oh dude, you're fine now. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm fine. Cause I take one little pill a day that keeps me, that keeps me, uh, level. Like I don't ever want to feel like I did back then, you know, and it's, it was, you know, it's a almost embarrassing thing to admit, but it was, it was just rough. It was, um, you know, like I, I did some therapy, I did all that. And I, I'm in a great place now, but at the time I was, I, I would imagine that, um, that if you interviewed any of them, like, Hey, what was it like having Georgia in those conference calls back then? <laughs> They'd go, uh, he, he was a bear to deal with. And it's, it's true. I, I was just irritable and, and um, I had gotten very like, like just jaded, you know, you know, where I was like, Oh, I'm not going to make a difference. Oh, whatever. And, you know, well, it's that, but we, we came from a different era. Um, I'm assuming that we're not too much difference in age. Maybe, maybe we are, but back <laughs> when you were 11, uh, they didn't talk about, mental oh yeah of of things and you didn't get to uh you didn't get to talk about your feelings or you didn't get to deal with it emotionally uh, right and for most of your life it was okay until that moment yeah it was it was weird it was literally like they opened up a little box in the back of my head that was like hey you have all these feelings <laughs> that came flying to the forefront and i was like Oh my God. And it's, it's funny. It was just, um, it, you know, I think about it like, uh, it's funny. I actually, one of the things that got me through that whole period was I started writing a lot, you know, and just, um, kind of like uh, almost, um, self therapy, you know, like writing out, like what was going through my head and what, what I was thinking and what I was dreaming about. And, uh, 
And yeah, it was funny. It wasn't until I went and I saw a therapist and I was like, you know, um, I think I'm losing my mind here, you know? And they were like, no, you're not like, this is like textbook PTSD. You know, the fact that you had all this stuff, um, kind of repressed from the time that you were a kid really, um, you know, like it's a normal thing, you know, like it happens to people that all of a sudden they have some realization that something happened to them when they were a kid, like mine, I knew what happened. I just hadn't really dwelled on it in, in, you know, uh, what, 30 years or whatever it was at the time. So yeah. Cause what that was 14. Yeah. I was like 42. I'm 49 now. So yeah, seven years ago, I was about, I was about 42 at the time. So yeah, it had been 31 years of repressed craziness going on back there. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what? I like, you know, I, I always, um, when all these athletes started having all these CTE issues, like when Dave Mira killed himself, um, I remember I was like, dude, that's crazy. I've had a million concussions. And I, you know, at first I was like, could it be the concussions? Could it be this? Could it be that? You know, I was, doing a lot of like digging, um, trying to figure out what was going on, you know? Cause I was like, man, I'm normally a really positive, like PMA kind of guy. And all of a sudden I'm like depressed all the time and this doesn't work, you know? And, and it's funny cause I, at the same time, I'm a, enough of a BS artist where I, I was able to keep a good face on for my wife and my kids. But when I was by myself, it was like, ah, <laughs> so. Wow. But, Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy, man. I, I, I'm i glad that you got through that. I really am. Yeah, yeah um, me too. <laughs> George, I want to thank you so much for coming on ATV Talk. You have uh, given me some information and some things that I didn't know about. And uh, I love it when I get to hear about things that went on in the industry that I that I didn't know about. Um, oh, man, I'm... I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. I had a blast. I think I think the listeners are going to love it as well, especially the 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 people that were around in that time frame and and a little before. Um, what gets lost is the youth of today. They they need to listen to these kind of things because I don't think they understand the history. And when you don't yeah. understand the history, you make mistakes. Yep. Well, dude, I was going to tell you. I so in in two thousand. What was it 2006? Maybe I put out a book called The Year in Dirt. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was um, basically, it, you know, just a recap of everything that happened that year at the races. And I still have boxes of those things. If if you want to do something with your ATV talk thing, where dude, give them away. Do whatever you, you want. Send me one of those. Oh, I um, will send you cases of them. Well, just send me one. Let me check it out, and then we'll put it on the we'll put it on the site. And, and we'll see what, what we can make happen for you. Dude, uh, honestly, like it, it's one of those things where at this point, like they're sitting in my basement because um, I, I've never had the heart to just throw them out kind of thing. Don't throw them out. But, uh, no, no, no. I would love to give them to some of your listeners, anybody that's interested. You, you can do whatever you want. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Okay. No, thank you. You too. Thanks for your time. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. 
Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.